the last several weeks, we've been considering elements of our Sunday morning worship together and unpacking why we do the things that we do, how they inspire and shape the Christian life which we are called to lead. And if I were to ask most of you what the most important element in our worship services were, I suspect that some of you would say the sermon, and just as many of you would say when we sing praise to God. The prayer of confession and maybe the call to worship may come second or third in many of our lists. And I fear that for many of us, the prayers of the people would not be very high in our thoughts at all. I confess, in fact, that there was a draft of this sermon series that did not include the prayers of the people as an element we would preach on. It is a prayer that we sometimes omit or move in the order of service for the sake of pragmatism, something which we should probably be more careful about doing. This prayer, what we call the prayers of the people, matters. In it, we pray for the world, for the church around the world, for our city and the work of our church, and for the needs of people known to us who we carry to God in prayer often. The practice of having such a prayer is ancient in its roots in both the Jewish and the Christian traditions. The reading which we heard from 1 Timothy has the Apostle Paul urging that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. He urges that Timothy and those who would receive this letter beyond Timothy, including us here now, pray for everyone. In fact, he urges this first of all, it says. And that phrasing might be a little confusing. Is Paul just listing this in a list of many things which he is urging? No. This first of all is not just first in a list, but in fact as a matter of first importance. Paul is saying primarily. We who may place little value in the prayers of the people and yes, that includes me, who almost excluded it from this sermon series. We are being challenged that one of the most important things that we do together in worship is when we pray for the world. We are together urged as a matter of first importance to pray for all people with manifold kinds of prayers. Petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings. This is not just Paul saying, pray, 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 pray. That's not what he's doing here, though if we would take it that way, I'm sure it would still be a very helpful exhortation to many of us. Rather, each is a kind of prayer which he is urging us towards that we should engage in as is appropriate. An early Christian bishop from Turkey wrote this to help us better understand what Paul means. He writes, here supplications express the desire for good things from God. Prayers express the desire to be released from various evils. Intercessions ask for freedom from undeserved consequences. And thanksgivings express gratitude for blessings. We are called to seek good things from God for all people. To pray that all people would be released from various evils to ask God on behalf of all people for freedom from undeserved consequences, and to express gratitude for the blessings which God does show to all people. That's a meaty first verse. And surely we would all agree with Paul that these are good things for us to do. 
But why is it a matter of first importance? Why is this so very crucial for us and for our worship? Well, we get a first hint at what Paul believes as he specifies who all people are. And it's far from an exhaustive list because the apostle trusts us to fill in the blanks. Being good Christians, we know that we ought to pray for the poor, the hungry, the tired, the meek, the grieving, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner in our midst. These we surely pray for unceasingly. So Paul picks up the list where we probably left off, and he specifies for kings and for all those in authority. Pray for kings and all those in authority. Pray for them when they oppress us. Pray for them when they imprison us, when they take food from children's mouths, when they hoard up for themselves, when they seek their good before any other good. Pray for these, intercede for these, give thanks for these. Yes, yes, pray for all people, even for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Pray for kings and those in authority, because it is for your good if they are saved from trouble, if evil is kept far from them. It is for the good of the widow and the orphan that those in authority are released from evil, so we must pray for them also. This is a challenge for us, even us who gather here, even those of us who mostly don't feel particularly oppressed by our governing authorities, who struggle to list who our enemies may be that we also ought to pray for. Yet this tendency to pray for the weak and to neglect to pray for the powerful is true among us also. In 2020, following the murder of George Floyd and the awakening around racial injustice that stirred following that event, we also prayed. We prayed for the families who lost loved ones. We prayed for the communities which bore deep wounds. We prayed for the end of injustice in our land. But some in our church noticed and asked, why did we not pray for the police? We ought to have. Whether you believe the institution of the police is fascist and broken beyond all repair, or you respect the police and honor their service to our society and anything in, belie- in between that you may believe, we ought to pray for the police. The words of the apostles speak to us also today. Pray for all people. Yes, even for kings. Yes, even for all those in authority. Yes, even for the police. Though all of these may grieve you deeply. That we may live in peaceful and quiet times. Peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Why do we pray for the world? The first answer we've been given is that we pray that we may know peaceful lives. Even as God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, to the Israelites in exiles, in the world's welfare, you will find your welfare. But it is more than that also. Paul continues, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray for all 
because the Lord is compassionate to all. We pray for the world because God loves the world. In fact, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Christ did not come that only the Jewish people would be saved or only the Greek would be saved, but Christ came that the world itself would be saved. So too, God's mercy and goodness are not constrained by the identities of our time. Christ's work is not only for those who are Canadian or American, not only for those who are part of a Western culture or those whose skin tone is a certain shade. God's mercy is not confined to these things, but it is extended to all people alike. It is clear then that we should pray for all people because it is from all peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues that God now draws all people to himself. So it is pleasing to God that we should pray for peoples who, do, who we do not know intimately, whose stories are in fact very unlike ours, whose lives do not seem to impact ours in any particular way, because God's compassion desires that we should also have compassion on the world. This table that we will gather at later in the service is a table which Christ puts in our midst at the corner of Harvard and Spadina, yes. But far more importantly, it is the table of the Lord in the world. This table is set in the world for us to enjoy this feast. It is not only for Presbyterians, not only for those in our neighborhood, those who are able to make it here today. This is Christ's feast for all those who follow him in the world. Even as we pray, we are reminded there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and mankind, Christ Jesus himself human. Jesus mediates between humanity and God. He is our great high priest, now in the Holy of Holies, before the Father, interceding on our behalf. And this reality serves to highlight another very important reason that we should pray for the world, that in praying these prayers, we become more like Christ. It is Jesus' mediation which is efficacious. And all of our supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings are offered only in and through him. We join in Christ's work as we pray for all people. And we take up that priestly work of the church. At our baptisms, we were baptized into Christ's death and into Christ's life. And we were empowered by the Holy Spirit to join in Christ's work. Now we also pray for the world that our voices may join the voice of our Lord, even as our hearts are conformed to his heart for all people as well. At the start of the series, I drew your attention to the bulletin and the order of service, which I hope was new information for you perhaps and you use regularly now. And in the middle of the bulletin this week, sometimes it's a little further back, there's a section called Pray This Week. And in it, we put prayers for the world. There are always prayers on a global scale, prayers in a local or national level, prayers for our church and for people known to us. And this is a very practical way that you are invited to pray with Christ our high priest, to do your work as the church and to pray for the world. If you didn't know about those prayer requests, 
Take them home with you this week. Read them and pray them. Let them be the beginning for you of the work which Christ calls you to. There's a Latin phrase which has been an important motto throughout the history of the church. And it's lex orandi, lex credendi, which means the law of prayer is the law of belief. What this is pointing to is that the ways we pray and the things that we do in our worship are connected to the things that we believe. They're connected to our faith. This is the entire concept behind this sermon series. And today, especially, it is important for us to grapple with that truth, that the law of prayer is the law of faith. What we pray about, as well as what we choose not to pray about, reveals something about what we believe is true of God and what we believe is true of our world. Why would we pray for our world if we're sure that it's just going to hell in a handbasket? Why pray for our enemies to be saved if our hearts really deeply desire that they would know harm? Why pray for the nations if we're convinced ourselves that it is only our nation that God cares about? It would be a pointless exercise, and our hearts would consistently fail to do it. Our prayers reveal our beliefs. When he, when he teaches his friends how to pray, Jesus teaches them that we should pray that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray that heaven and earth would draw near to each other. Jesus teaches us to pray, in effect, for the renewal of creation itself. That it would be submitted once more to God's will, now freed from the rebellion which held it captive and deformed it to our desires. Jesus' prayer reveals the faith which Jesus desired that we would have. A faith which understands that God is making all things new. That God's will is for the whole earth to know and not only our little corner of it. That one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and God will be in the midst of us. And then truly we will live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Until that day we seek it earnestly. We seek it as a matter of first importance. We pray in our worship that we might see glimpses of that kingdom coming even now, that wars may cease to the ends of the earth, that the hungry would be fed, that the unhoused would find homes, the lonely befriended, the grieving comforted. We pray these prayers for all people and for all the world because we desire God's will to reign in heaven and on earth as it will be on that great and glorious day of our Lord. We have our hearts set on that good kingdom, that life of peace and holiness, and our prayers follow our faith such that we seek it out, cry out for it, this week and every week in our worship and in all the days of our lives, that by petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, in the name of Christ, our high priest, the world will be renewed, that even kings and those in authority will be transformed by the work of God who hears our prayers. Truly, this is a matter of first importance, 
For this is the very work of Christ in our world, and his kingdom is coming soon. In our lives and by our prayers, may that kingdom come. Amen. In our reflection time this week, I want to invite you to rehearse, to practice praying for the world. And so on the slide, I've selected just three prayer requests that are in that section, the Pray This Week section. And maybe just choose one that jumps out to you and spend a minute praying for other people, praying for the world, joining in the prayers which Christ offers before his Father even now.